Okie dokie. We are uh, continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. And actually we are getting, uh, or we're going to wrap up the, the first chapter today. We're going to do uh, verses 22 and 23, which is, which is uh, actually a faster pace than I had anticipated. One chapter per six months, which is makes this about a three-year study at this pace. Uh, of course, that depends on how often I get sidetracked and, and do other things. But um, anyway, we're actually wrapping up the first, uh, ch- trying to wrap up the first chapter today. Um, just to refresh your memory, last week we talked about, from the previous uh, couple verses, we talked about the power of the resurrection working in the believer. And uh, I think most of us are familiar with hearing about power working through believers or power working towards believers, but, but uh, so much of the New Testament is concerned with Christ's resurrection power working in a believer, which affects us by conforming us to His death. In other words, His increase. It works His increase unto our decrease. And we talked quite a bit about that. Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, we begin to know Him and the power of His resurrection, partake of His sufferings, be conformed to His death, attain to His resurrection. And uh, I mentioned that I, I, I believe that for God to take a carnal, self-centered human soul that is by nature, as, as it says so many places, enmity with God or by nature a child of wrath or whatever, Transform it through the the uh, the resurrection life of Christ into the image of of God's Son. I believe that's a far greater demonstration of power than even parting the Red Sea or or calling fire down on top of a mountain or anything like that. So we we spent uh, most of our time on that last week, and this week I want to move on to verse 22, 23, Ephesians chapter one. You can turn there if you want. And let's just start by reading the verses. Ephesians uh, 1.22 And He put all, all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Head over all to the church, which is His body, the fullness of all... I'm sorry, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This... This uh, verse speaks of Christ's role in and as uh, the resurrection. Remember, the previous verses speak of Christ being raised up by God far above principality and power and seated at the right hand of God. We've all heard that before. It says that several times in the, in the New Testament. But what exactly is He doing at the right hand of God? What exactly is, is, is He reigning over? What what is he desiring to put under his feet? What are the enemies that are being subdued? I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm, I think, I think it's there, honestly, where a lot of the church uh, is confused, and and uh, and I and I know that, as is often the case, what what I'm about to say could be misunderstood, and even if it's not misunderstood, it can be confusing or offensive, and I don't I don't ever mean it to be that, but I just want to really. Uh, Say something that uh, might be a little different than um, some of how you may have heard about the reign of God in Christ. 
Christ was not raised up to the right hand of God so that He could put natural kingdoms and rulers and people under His feet. In other words, He wasn't raised up to the right hand of God so that He could stir up hurricanes and wipe out cities and and throw down bolts of lightning and and, and strike buildings and drop bombs on Nazi Germany. That's not... That's just not the nature or the realm or, or the reality of His rule. In fact, as far as He's concerned, those natural kingdoms, rulers, and people have already been judged and put away by the cross. I know that might sound strange because we're always talking about how God is, quote, in control of everything that's going on on earth. But let's just stop for a minute this morning and think about that. Does this planet look like the expression of God's reign and rule to you? Does this country look like the expression of His dominion, a demonstration of His dominion? What about Sudan? What about North Korea? Iraq? Cleveland? Jesus Christ was raised up to the right hand of God not to fix the earth, not to beat the bad guys, not to stop the Hitlers. Don't you think that if that were His goal, if that was the nature of His reign, He would be doing a far better job than what we're seeing in the planet right now? I mean, just look at the earth. Just watch CNN for 30 seconds. Do we really think that the world that we live in is a reflection of 2,000 years of Christ trying to put natural enemies, kingdoms, and bad guys under His feet? Do we really believe that? do, 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 Do we think that things aren't going as well as He hoped? Do we think that He wasn't counting on people continuing to be so evil after He was resurrected? Do we think that He was raised up to the right hand of God so that He could bring peace to planet earth? What did He say about bringing peace to the world? Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I thought He was the Prince of Peace. Yeah, He's the Prince of Peace, alright. Peace with God. Peace with those who share the life of God. But do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. For some reason he left son against mother-in-law out. I'm not sure why he did that. But but, uh, I'm going to read on here. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now listen, I'm not against world peace. You can keep your bumper sticker if you want to. As far as I'm concerned, I'd love to see world peace. That would be great. But I am just not confused enough to think that God's reign through Christ is a reign 
in and over the natural realm. I'm not looking for God's kingdom and reign and headship in the world. What does Jesus say about that? John 18:36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered over to the Jews. Another time he's asked, I think it's um, Luke 17:21. You can check me on that, but uh, the, the Pharisees demanded when to know when the kingdom was coming. He said, the kingdom is not coming with outward signs to be observed. Nor will anyone say, behold, there it is, or behold, here it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus was raised up to the right hand of God to do what? To, to be a natural king in a natural city, you know? Or to stop Stalin before his 37 millionth murderer? To do what? To be what? What does the verse say? What does our verse say? He was raised up to be head over all to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Christ is not head over Australia. Christ is not head over America. Christ is head over His body, the church. And headship means a lot more than just being king or boss or anything like that. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just want us to face something that that maybe we haven't faced. Although God does intervene in and help in and provide in and heal in and speak in, etc., the natural realm, the natural world, He is not trying to make it His kingdom. He's not trying to make the earth into another natural kingdom, a natural body, a natural expression of His reign and rule. He did that with David and with Solomon as the type and shadow of the spiritual and the eternal, which has come in Christ. He's not trying to bring it back again. And I'm definitely not saying that His kingdom cannot be manifested in the earth. It absolutely can. In fact, it must. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the manifestation of His kingdom in the earth, as it is in the heavens, where we have been raised and seated with Him. But I am saying that the earth is not the realm that he, in which he's really trying to put natural enemies under his feet. The earth is, is not where he's seeking to be the fullness of all in all. It is the church, it is the body where he desires to fill all and subdue all that is contrary to himself. It's in his body, as, as the very head of that body where he is seeking to exercise his headship. It's in your soul where He is establishing His throne, out from which, He says, flow the rivers of living water. Out of the innermost being, He says, that flows. Yes, His weapons are mighty, but they are not carnal. That is, they are not natural. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What kind of strongholds? Strongholds in Iraq? Strongholds of the mind, every vain imagination, contrary to the true knowledge of God, taking every thought captive in the obedience of Christ, the one who is your life. That is where he is conquering cities and punishing 
so to speak, disobedience. In other words, causing all things to line up with or come into accord with His rule. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you see anything there that is not inward? Do you see anything there that is not working in the soul of those who have been born of that life? Now, as, as far as the, uh, the, the natural world goes, the Bible is more than... Though we don't like to think of it like this, the Bible is more than clear as to who is its prince. Who is its ruler? The Bible says plainly whose reflection and image the world bears. Luke 4, verse 5. Then the devil, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered unto me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. John fourteen thirty. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Ephesians 2.2 2. Paul says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. 2 Corinthians 4.3 But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. 1 John 5.19 We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. See, it's not the old creation where God's reign is being established, but the new. It is in His body, the church, where God is establishing the demonstration of His rule. It is there where He is establishing headship, where He is manifesting headship. It's supposed to be there where the world can see something of His reign and His dominion. Don't, and don't, don't be confused about the method with which He employs to, to make this happen. He's not, he's not working life in you. He is the life in you if you're born of His Spirit. He is the life in you working death to everything that stands against contrary to His life. I just wanted to mention that kind of to start off this morning uh, because, I mean, frankly, because I hear so many Christian cliches and I know you must as well. You know, we read, Christians, you know, we read articles in in the paper or or, or whatever about millions starving in some country, thousands dying by suicide bombers or various other atrocities uh, of the world. And we, we say things, we hear things like, well... We still know that God is in charge or, or God's still on His throne. And, and I agree 100% that God is still on His throne, but those atrocities are not the reflections of it. He's not failing to stop those things. They're not the realm where you will see or experience the reign of that throne. Where do you see God's reign? You see God's reign in the new creation which He has established in His Son. Where do you see God's headship? You see God's headship in His body which is the church, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You see, that's exactly what this verse says. Raised up and seated 
and given to be head over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this verse is interesting to me because it describes us, the church, as being the fullness of him. You see that? You know, what, I remember reading that one time thinking, what could that possibly mean? What, in what sense can we be Christ's fullness? Well, it, it became not terribly difficult to understand when you begin to understand that God's eternal purpose is to have an increased expression of Christ, to have an increase of Christ through a living habitation. That's what this verse is speaking of. It's actually speaking of something very similar uh, to what he says in the, the very last two verses of Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, "...in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a, a holy temple in the Lord, and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." In my, uh, in my series, the, 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 uh, the Not I But Christ series that's out there, I, I, I share an analogy that deals with the verse that we're talking about today that says uh, we are hit the fullness of Him who fills all in all. It's, a, it's kind of a strange analogy, but it, it gets the point across. In the, in the analogy, I say something kind of like, imagine you walk in on a Sunday morning and, uh, and uh, you know, here I am up in front of the, the church in the sanctuary, except I'm only a head, just a head sitting right there, kept alive by some machines. I have a machine over here pumping blood and a machine over here supplying oxygen. And I, I know that's gross, but... But, uh, you know, bear with me here. I'm trying to, trying to make an analogy. Uh, so here I am. I'm just, I'm just ahead and I'm greeting everyone. Good morning. Saying hi to the visitors, you know, and everything. And someone puts a microphone in front of me. And, and uh, you know, you can just try to picture that for a second if you want to. And uh, you, could, you could say as you sat down in your pew there that in that head there was something of an expression of Jason. I mean, it, was, it wasn't anyone else. It was definitely Jason. But was it the fullness of Jason? Was it the full expression, the full manifestation of Jason? What would be needed, what would be needed in order to have a full expression, a full manifestation of Jason? I would need a many-membered body in which through which I could manifest myself. I would need a body in which I was filling every part in every way. You see? I would need a body which was my fullness, the fullness of the head who fills all in all. That's what I would need. The life is from the head. The mind is from the head. The nature comes out from the head. The will comes out from the head. The motion come out, comes out from the head. But the body becomes the many-membered expression of that head if indeed the life of the head flows through that body. Then the body becomes the fullness of the head. The body becomes the increased expression of the head. And you could do a, you could do a similar analogy with a seed. You take, take, for instance, an acorn. What do, you, what do you have in an acorn? Well, you have the full genetic makeup of the entire oak tree. You have the entire life of that tree in one little bundle. But you do not have the full expression of that life. You don't have the seed's fullness. What must one do to have the full expression? Get more acorns? No, that wouldn't do it. 
It's not a lack of acorns, that's the problem. See, we don't, we don't need more Jesus of Nazareth's running around. That's not the problem. It's not a lack of the seed. What do we need? We don't need a bunch of people trying to make themselves look like acorns. We need one acorn increasing into the full expression, the full manifestation of what was already in that one seed. In other words, we need branches that will bear and carry the life of that one seed. We need branches that will actually reproduce a harvest of the one. A harvest of the one. John 12, verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You see, this is what God the Father is seeking to do in Christ's body. Glorify the one seed. The hour has come, He says, to glorify one dying seed. How? Not by creating a harvest of copycats. But a harvest of the one Christ through a dwelling place of God in spirit. The increase of Him. A harvest of one. There's a lot of talk in the body of Christ about harvest. That word uh, seems to be more now than ever circled around. I get uh, newsletters that come across my desk, emails, harvest uh, this, harvest that. Uh, you know, it's the subject of many conferences. It's the title of a bunch of Christian books. I, I'm afraid that most of my life I misunderstood the nature and the reality of what God considered a harvest. You see, I thought that the harvest of God was many coming to act like one or many coming to believe in one. But of course, that, that can't be right. I now understand that the true harvest of God has always, has always been the one increasing in and through the many. When you plant a seed, are you looking for anything other than the increase of the exact thing you planted? When you plant a seed, is your expectation anything other than the fullness of the fullness of what has been planted? Again, our verse, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We have to come to see that from God's perspective. We have to come to see that His harvest isn't the quantity of soil, but the measure of the seed that is increasing in and through the soil. The harvest of God is the increase of His seed. So Christ was raised up from among the dead that He might be formed in His body and reign there. Reign there as head. Reign there as king. King of those who will follow him out of one man, out of the old man, out of the old creation. Be in fact crucified to it. That he might fill all in all. He doesn't reign in the White House. He doesn't reign in the UN. Some of you might find that surprising. He reigns in the souls of those who have been born again. And that's what he's doing in you and I. Just to read you a few scriptures. Galatians 4.19 
How is He reigning in you and I? By being formed in us. Galatians 4.19 Philippians 3.21 He is transforming our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Ephesians 4.10 and 13 He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things till we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hebrews 2.8 He is putting His enemies under His feet and those enemies are in His land. Those enemies are in His body. See, David wasn't, wasn't going outside of the land conquering enemies. David was conquering, conquering the enemies of the land that was already given to him by God. He was looking inside the land at the Philistine that was uncircumcised saying, you have no right to be here. You see what I'm saying? That's what he said to Goliath, isn't it? He didn't say, I'm, I'm stronger than you. He said, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. You have no right to be here. Who are you to stand against the God of circumcision? And therefore, it doesn't matter how. I can beat you with a stick. I can beat you with a rock. God has cut you off from this land. Well, my point is that God is working in the land. And we are the land in which He is subduing all things under Himself. We are the land in which the enemies, everything that rises up against the true knowledge of God is being taken down, torn down, high places, strongholds, thoughts being taken captive. We are the land that God is ruling and reigning, trying to rule, seeking to rule and reign in as we cooperate. Ephesians 4.15 uh, He is causing us to grow up in all things into Him who is the head. Well, that's a wonderful scripture. And there's more. But the point is He is causing us to become a mature corporate man. One new man, as it says in Ephesians 2. A body that walks in and as the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a fabulous goal. What a fabulous aim. What an unbelievable eternal purpose to make us all into one body with one head. Dawned on me just a few days ago that uh, I was sitting there thinking about the, the, the analogy of the body, the body of Christ, and comparing it to the body of uh, you know, a human body. And, and, it, and it dawned on me that, that, it's not, that it's, the body of Christ is not really an analogy. It's a reality. It's a reality. In other words, it's not like Paul is saying that the body of Christ is a little bit like a natural body. It's the other way around. The natural body is the lesser of the two realities. It's, it's the lesser of the two bodies. The natural body is the less joined, the less, the less real body. It's connected only by flesh and sinew and bone and blood. And, and yet the body of Christ is connected by, by eternal, incorruptible spirit body of Christ, whether faith has seen it or not, is far more a body than the body that you and I have. And I'd just like to share with you this morning, just kind of from my heart, because this has been on my heart, that the more... That this, remember here, we're coming, we're coming still out of the prayer of, of Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. This, that he's praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would show the Ephesian believers... These, these things. So, the more that the spirit of wisdom and revelation makes this a reality in your heart, the more life 
ceases to be about the body that you have and starts to become more and more about the body that you are. I, I don't know if I can say it any better than that. I, can, I feel more than I can say on, on that. Uh, but uh, the more you see the finished work of God in Christ, the more and more you see that the body that you have is really a member of the body that you are and, 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 and you begin to function. You begin to function as such. And it begins to make sense. Deep in the soul, it begins to make sense. Uh, Down where reality has its seat in you, that the body that you have exists to serve the body that you are. In fact, you begin to understand what Paul means when he speaks of laying down the body that we have in order to function for the sake of the body that we are. What's that one verse where he says, I desire nothing more than to spend and be spent for your souls. I love that scripture. Not out of duty, but see, that's a, that becomes a simple matter of living. It becomes a simple matter of living. It's not a religious obligation. It's not a spiritual discipline. It's just how life works in a body. My hand doesn't feel obligated to serve my body. It's just what life does. It's just how life works. My foot doesn't feel obligated to be in regular communion or connection to my knee. It doesn't feel obligated to keep up the relationship. It's just what life is. Life doesn't have to try to live a certain way. Life just lives. Maybe, maybe the Lord isn't dealing with you right now with this, but eventually... Eventually, we begin to relate to the body of Christ more and more in the same manner, in the same way that the members of our body relate to one another. It's got to be that way, guys. It's, it, it can't be a theology. It will never work as a doctrine. It must be a reality that grows out of the revealing of Christ's life in your very soul where all things that He has finished through His cross become established as realities, and not beliefs, and not creeds, but realities. One life. Paul says that so many times. There is just one Spirit. You've all been baptized into one life. I remember a couple weeks ago quoting from Romans 12, uh, verse 5. I think it's when we were talking about he, He is our peace. When we were talking about peace, where it says, We being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12:13 for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slave or free we have all been made to drink into one spirit he says it a number of different ways in a number of different places but the point is another one just popped in my head 1 Corinthians 6:17 all those who have joined themselves to the Lord have become one spirit somewhere else in Ephesians 4 he says for there is one faith one God and Father one spirit one spirit. Is that something we believe in? I mean, let me put it this way. Is that only something we believe in? Or is that something that has begun to be a reality through the beholding with His eyes of what He has made us by the cross? In other words, has life to you and I become... Is it becoming less... And less about the body that you have. 
and more and more about the body that you are. See, these verses, you know, that I just quoted, those are nice verses, but see, they're not really verses. The reality is being described by verses. What I'm attempting to say is that when that reality begins to work in your soul, then things change. You can't stop it. It's not something coming from you. It's not a decision that, 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 that you're making. It's something that's being done to you. You can't stop it. Once you, once you see, once faith begins to work in your soul in this way or in any way, whatever Christ is revealing in you, 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 you're not the one doing it. You're not the one making decisions. It's not an intellectual assent. It's not a decision you're making. It's something being done to you. You're helpless before truth. You stand there, you look, and you see it as a finished reality in Christ. You couldn't change it if you wanted to. Some people write me emails and they say, am I going crazy or is this real? And I say, my God, that's real. And they say, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't see it the same way. And I say, you couldn't change the way you see it if you tried. Faith is God's view working in your soul. Good luck trying to unsee what He has shown you. Well, what's he showing you about the body, which is his fullness? The fullness of him who fills all in all. You're not going crazy when the Lord begins to empty out of your vessel the things that used to make for life and show you that those things have never been more than a mirage. You're not alone when the Lord begins to show you that so much of what we have known as Christianity was a creation of unbelief. You're not a weirdo. I'm, 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 you know, I'm quoting emails I get right now and phone calls. When God starts to show you that the body that you have exists to serve the body that you are, to be connected to the body that you are, when you feel that magnetic life drawing you into the fellowship of that one spirit, when that connection becomes stronger than the connections of the soul, when that, when that fellowship becomes more real and tangible than the connections of the flesh, you're not going nuts. You're just having a verse turn into a reality. You're just having a verse turn into substance. Anyway, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. It's not something that's coming out from you. It's something that's being done to you. And that has to do not just with your view of the body. That has to do with your view of everything. Life, death, religion, Christ. Adam, Christ. Prayer, prayer. (laughs) Evangelism. Everything is divided by the cross. The cross becomes the division. 
between the living and the dead. And again, good luck trying to stop seeing what he has revealed in the person of his son. So anyway, I'm not talking about believing that you're a body, but I'm talking about operating as a body. I'm talking about feeling, knowing, experiencing. The, 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 I, like, I like the word magnetic because that's what it starts to feel like. The magnetic connection of life working in those that not only share his life because every born again believer shares his life but those who are having that life formed in them I'm talking about John 17 John 17 verse 20 I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us that the world may see that you have sent me and the glory which you have given me I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one I in them, you in me that they may be made perfect in one that they may be made perfect in one friends we are the body of Christ the fullness of him who fills all in all unity is sharing this one life it's not something we're trying to create It is something we're trying to realize and walk in the good of through the revealing of that life. There's a difference. I was uh, thinking this week about the difference between the unity of the Spirit and the unity of faith. Both of them are described in the Bible. The unity of the Spirit is a fact and a reality for every born-again believer. Though it is, I, I think, rarely seen from God's perspective. Once you're, once you're born from above, you are one in Him, whether you realize it or not. It's only the mind of the flesh that disagrees with one another, but you're still one in Him because there's one life, there's one Spirit. But then there's something called the unity of the faith, mentioned in Ephesians 4 and other places. The unity of the faith is more than just a spiritual fact, it is actually a spiritual experience through truth working in your soul. Through the one mind working in your soul through the mind of the Lord working in your soul see then it's more than just a fact then it becomes it starts to be an experience unity of the faith is when the one mind becomes the oneness of all who share his life in other words unity of faith is when the Christ who is in us through new birth becomes the life that now works in his body in every member and in every way. And what that faith sees, what the unity of the faith sees, it sees what it sees our verse. It sees this. He gave him to be head over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. We'll stop there.